Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 12. Grizzlies, as uh, this is being recorded, getting ready to take on the Charlotte Hornets in a Wednesday night tilt at FedEx Forum. Grizzlies trying to sweep the season series for a second consecutive year over the Hornets. Grizzlies already owning a victory over the Hornets on New Year's Day in Charlotte. We'll talk about the Grizzlies' current four-game losing streak in That Was the Week That Was. And then we have not one but two great interviews for you on the program today. We'll visit with my broadcast partner, Brevin Knight, get his take on the Grizzlies' four-game losing streak and what's gone wrong with them and how they can get their defensive mojo back. And then in our Friend of the Program segment, we return with Monty McCutcheon, part two of our conversation. Monty is the Senior Vice President of Referee Operations particularly with recruitment and training. And uh, we'll chat about how NBA referees are evaluated and how they uh, are trained and how they are trained to improve and get better with every single time that they step on the floor. So we've got that. Also got some PD's points. And uh, that's episode 12. That's what we have on deck for you. So let's tip it all off with that was the week that was. Well, the Grizzlies coming off a home loss to the Houston Rockets. They go down to New Orleans. And the Grizzlies playing good basketball early, a 33-31 lead after one quarter. They would lead by as many as 12, but the fourth quarter is when the roof really caved in on them. Pelicans outscored them 28-18 in the fourth and final quarter. Uh, New Orleans not known as a three-point shooting team, 15 of 33 for 45.5%. They had two more made threes than the Grizzlies, and typically that's not the way New Orleans likes to play. But uh, New Orleans had it all going on, and Brandon Ingram was sensational. 27 points, 12 rebounds, and four block shots. And he made five of eight from downtown. Eric Bledsoe made four threes, and Bledsoe was a real thorn in the Grizzlies' side in the fourth quarter. Lonzo Ball made four of six from downtown as well. Uh, Grizzlies got a big game. Jonas Valanciunas returning to the lineup But as a bench player, put up 23 points, which is the best single-game performance by an individual off the Grizzlies bench this year. Unfortunately, the rest of the starters really struggled. All five of the Grizzlies starters ended up in minus, in the plus-minus. John Morant was minus 25, did have nine assists, but shot just five of 14 from the floor. Meanwhile, all five of the Pelican starters were in plus territory significantly The lowest plus-minus in the starting lineup for New Orleans was Zion Williamson. He was plus-14. The other four starters were at least plus-20 or better, including plus-23 for Steven Adams, who played uh, 29 minutes in that ballgame. So the Grizzlies blow a double-digit lead in this game. The lead was early. I understand that. But uh, the Grizzlies had their opportunities. And, in, in fact, the Grizzlies had the lead entering the fourth quarter. But as I said, New Orleans outscores them 28-18 to in the fourth quarter, and they take the win. Pelicans at that point improved to 10-12. and Grizzlies fell to 9-9. and Grizzlies return home to start a two-game homestand, the first game of the homestand Monday night against the Toronto Raptors. And again, Grizzlies get a double-digit lead. Unfortunately, they're not able to hold it. Grizzlies had the lead at halftime. And in, again, in the fourth quarter, this time it was the fourth quarter, uh, 34-16. Toronto Raptors took care of business. And what was interesting about this particular basketball game is that Kyle Lowry exited about eight minutes in with back spasms and was not able to continue. So he only played, like I said, about eight minutes, only scored four points, only had one assist. But 
Fred Van Vliet, who earlier this season put up a 54-point game against Orlando, which is a Toronto franchise record and also the most points ever scored by an undrafted player in the NBA, was fantastic. He went for 32. Pascal Siakam, not known as a great three-point shooter, made five of eight. Norman Powell made six of nine from distance, and Van Vliet was a perfect 12 for 12 from the free throw line in route to 32 points. So Powell had 29, Siakam had 32, Van Vliet had 32 as well. All five Grizzly starters in double figures. Jonas Valanciunas, 20-20 game for him, 27 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 of those were coming on the offensive end. The downside to this outside of the fourth quarter in which the Grizzlies were outscored 34-16, to the fact that the bench did not provide a whole lot of punch. Now, the Grizzlies were without Brandon Clark. They were without DeAnthony Melton. And so as a result, Taylor Jenkins shaking up the lineup a little bit and starting Desmond Bain at the two-guard slot. And he responded, I thought, pretty well. And Taylor Jenkins admitted as much after the game. He said, I thought Desmond was okay. Finished with 13 points, three boards, and three assists in the game and hit three of seven from downtown. But again, the Grizzlies just getting killed at the three-point line. Toronto made 20 and shot 54% from three. I mean, these are just insane numbers. Grizzlies, 13 of 39 from three for 33%. And that, that's just not going to get it done, unfortunately. But uh, Toronto, you know, you talk about guys like Powell and Siakam and Van Vliet. Uh, they, they've won an NBA championship. They know exactly what they are doing. And uh, really, it all seemed to start with about three minutes left in the third quarter. Nick Nurse got kicked out with his second technical foul of the game. And from that point on, the Raptors really circled the wagons and uh, and handled their business, and the Grizzlies had no answer for them. So the Grizzlies fall to 9-10 after the 128-113 loss to the Toronto Raptors. Raptors improved to 11-13, and and for the first time in Toronto's history, they win three straight games on the home floor of the Grizzlies. They had won consecutive games back when Vancouver played in what was then GM place, now Rogers Center. But uh, Toronto has now won their last three trips into Memphis. And that is, that was, the week that was. Now let's get some Petey's points. Um, Obviously, you look at these two games. Grizzlies outscored 28-18 in the fourth quarter against New Orleans and 34-16 against the Toronto Raptors. And it's obvious that the Grizzlies are not finishing well. And, uh, you know, part of that is our friends at Sport Radar came up with the stat that something like 70% of the Grizzlies' minutes are being played by guys who are younger than 25. These are guys that have not been there. Uh, They have not been through all these crunch time type situations. And as I said about Toronto, their guys have won NBA championships. They have been through some of these clutch situations. They've been through these adverse situations over and over again. Your coach gets ejected. Uh, your leader, Kyle Lowry, exits after seven and a half, eight minutes in the ballgame because of back spasms. They know how to find ways to win, and you know they were able to do that. And New Orleans was able to do that as well. One of the things that the Grizzlies are going to have, they're going to have growing pains. This is still a young team. It is still the second youngest team in the NBA, and you've got two rookies who are playing major rotational minutes and you're also missing Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow and in the last couple of games you're missing Brandon Clark and DeAnthony Melton who themselves are young guys but uh, you're, you're, you're just missing a lot of human resources I guess is what I'm saying and the human resources that you have for the Grizzlies they're very very young and not as experienced as some of the people that they're going up against so there are going to be some growing pains and unfortunately the growing pains have showed up on the defensive end and they've showed up in the fourth quarter. 
Petey's point number two, uh, the three-point disparity right now is just insane. Um, I was doing research for the Charlotte game, and the Grizzlies have allowed 70 three-point makes in the last four games. That's 17.5 three-point makes per game to the opponent. The Grizzlies are making uh, just 47 themselves. So, I mean, they're just not giving themselves an opportunity to – to win basketball games. I mean, you're being outscored by almost uh, six, five and a half, six three-point makes per game. It's really, really hard to make that up unless you get to the free throw line a ton or you have many more possessions with offensive rebounds and they, that you're able to convert. So it's a, it's a real struggle for the Grizzlies right now. I mean, the last four games, you can't lay all of it at the feet of three-point shooting, but right now, the opponents are shooting almost 49% from three. The Grizzlies are shooting 34% from three. And and like I said, I mean, you're minus like five and a half, six three-point makes per game, and that is awfully, awfully hard to make up. Grizzlies, as they are presently constituted, they're going to average 12, 13 three-point makes a game. They're shooting kind of where they normally would be or what you ex- would expect from them. The issue is defending the three-point line, and that has been – the big problem for the Grizzlies over the last four games is teams have gotten wide open looks and they've knocked them down. Sometimes it's a matter of a team getting hot. Sometimes it's a matter that, you know, the Grizzlies are are trying to shrink the paint and then it becomes a very, very long closeout to a three-point shooter. And as a result, they're, they're not able to handle their business. And uh, it has resulted in four straight losses. The other thing that's an issue for the Grizzlies right now, and this is PD point number three, is, is that John Moran in the fourth quarter, you know, we saw that great fourth quarter in the opener against San Antonio where he scores 18 of his 44. Last four games, John Morant has a total of four fourth quarter points, four, and hasn't made a field goal. He's 0 for 5 from the floor in the last four fourth quarters. All of his points have come from the free throw line. Right now, he's seeing a lot of different defenses. He is seeing teams that are basically going to sell out on him, try to get the ball out of his hand, and, uh, and and keep him from hurting them in the fourth quarter. And so it's going to be incumbent upon him, it's going to be incumbent upon the rest of the Grizzlies, coaching staff, players, everybody, to figure out ways to be able to have Ja be productive in, in the fourth quarter. We know that he can do it. He has done it earlier this year, but the last four games – uh, he's not been able to produce in the fourth quarter, and that has been a real issue for the Grizzlies. Final Petey's point, uh, some of you may have read that uh, Mark Cuban said, you know, we're just not going to play the national anthem before the game, and I don't think anybody will miss it. But now the NBA, as more and more teams uh, are allowing fans into their building, the NBA came out today and said, you know what? It's not your decision to make Mark Cuban. The NBA wants everybody to play the national anthem before the game. Uh, and I, I think that there's a, an element of standardization there that uh, this, is, this is what we do. This is a tradition. There's a line in the rule book that the players and coaches will stand in a dignified posture as the anthem is being played. Obviously, some players, even coaches, referees, took knees in the bubble in Orlando in a respectful form. And so Adam Silver has not totally enforced that rule as it is written in the book because of the emphasis on social justice. But uh, no matter what you do during the anthem, uh, the fact of the matter is it's going to be played everywhere, even in Dallas. And those are the PD's points for today. And with that, let's transition to our visit with Brevin Knight 
For 11 years, he's been by my side as uh, the color analyst on Grizzlies telecasts on Fox Sports Southeast. Stanford guy, Jersey guy, very, very smart. And uh, earlier this week, we chatted about uh, how and why the Grizzlies have struggled so mightily so recently. Grizzlies have lost four in a row after winning seven in a row. Uh, can you put your finger on exactly what's going sideways with this team right now? Uh, well, well, at this point, Parn, I think the biggest thing is uh, they lost a little bit of their defensive mojo in, in terms of, especially uh, on the point of attack, being able to defend one-on-one, but also in their pick-and-roll coverages and being able to stop the initial pick-and-roll, but then also being able to get to the next pass. And, and what's happening is they're getting behind defensively, which is leaving open the ability for drives to the basket, giving up a lot of three-point shots. Uh, and when you're playing against teams that, that are good three-point shooting teams, then you have to run them off of that line and make them a little bit more comfortable. They're not getting that done on the defensive side. And I, I think a lot of why they've lost a little bit of their defensive lust is that um, they're not getting the same offensive output as, as they got um, when they won those two games in San Antonio after coming back from being parked. Uh, and and uh, a lot of that is just the consistency of the offense. They have those stretches where you still see them being uh, the same high-octane offense, which is getting a lot of points in the paint, uh, being able to make threes, uh, when they need those three-point shots. Uh, and so I think that be, because they haven't had the offensive execution uh, for 48 minutes, that has taken a hit on the defensive side. And then the other thing that has happened is uh, they, they just played against some some good basketball teams that have presented uh, some different type matchups uh, for them and uh, just haven't played a, a good enough 48 minutes of basketball to get wins. So you've been in an NBA locker room for a lot of years, and you've been on teams that have had losing streaks and have been in funks. How do you? How do you? Too break... many teams, partner. Too 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 many teams that have been in losing streaks and funks. Now, see, you brought that up. I didn't. How how do you when you are when you are in the locker room? How do you go about trying to get out of a funk? Because it's because it's it's not easy. You can't just flip a switch. How do you do it? Uh, the, the biggest thing that that, uh, that that we always talked about was, and this is, is cliche, is you forget about those games that you played, but you remember them. And those are two different things. Forget about what the outcome was, but remember how you got to that point. Remember the good things that you did to be a successful basketball team and try to extend those out for more minutes. And that, that, was, that was a big mindset. And like I said, I, I was also on teams – that really didn't have a true chance of winning. But the teams that were on when we went into a funk that had a chance to win it, it didn't take – it wasn't – you weren't too far off. It was just a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think that's what's true for this team. Health has been a big issue for this team the entire season. You can only get by for so long, mixing and matching, plugging and playing, uh, before when, team, when you start to run against really good teams, it starts to take a toll. That's something that you can't – uh, you, you can never control that issue. But uh, the, the consistency on the defensive side, you have to figure out a way of doing it despite what's happening on the offensive end. So uh, when, when we were in those mix, a lot of it went back to, you know, you get back to work, you watch the film, you pick out those scenarios uh, when it happens. And then in game, you need a veteran voice or you need a voice of somebody that is on the floor to let guys know we're not going back down that road again. We're a good team. We're going to bounce back. 
And, and usually it takes one defensive stand, one offensive possession. So this team just has to just pull tighter together and not realize and realize that it's not going to be one person that's going to pull them out of this. The old Tiger Woods, I'm close. I'm really close. That, that, <laughs> exactly. Well, while you talk about veteran leadership, uh, give me your take. I know he's your boy from Jersey and he's Pac-12 guy, but Kyle Anderson is having a career year. What impact is he having on, on both ends of the floor? Well, on the defensive side, he's giving them the ability to play multiple positions. We saw in the game uh, uh, when, when he's, in games when he's able to play different spots on the floor. And against Toronto, he starts that game at the four position, um, just to give you the length there. Uh, and I think he's done a good job with being able to even playing against quicker players, give them the space, but still use his length. He's able to block shots. He rebounds well uh, for this team. Now, the one thing that we don't know because we're not down on the floor is we don't hear the level of communication that goes on between these guys. And so uh, if he's able to articulate what's going on, because we know we always talk about the high IQ in your mind, but a lot of times you need for that high IQ of your mind to be able to be an influence on the other minds on your team. And so uh, if, he's able, if he can be vocal with his teammates, as to what's going on on the defensive side. And then even offensively, uh, we've seen him be able to just have the confidence to be the player that he's always been. He, is, he's, he was never a long-range shooter, but he has added that ability to make threes to his game. He's always been terrific in the mid-range, but using the long strides. And I, tell, and I always say he keeps people off guard defensively with his hesitation and change of pace moves. So uh, I, I think that, the ability to have another guy that you can throw the ball to and feel confident that he can make a play for himself or his teammates gives them another offensive weapon. Uh, but, but I think just, I think his ability to understand and then communicate the game is something that will have to become an asset as the season goes along. Visiting with my broadcast partner, Brevin Knight, talking about the Grizzlies recent four game losing streak. I guess we got a little spoiled with John Morant with what he did. <clears throat> at the end of the bubble and then the 44 point game and the opener against San Antonio. And you look at the numbers and he's scoring in the teens and he's giving you nine assists. He's not shooting the ball particularly well. Um, give me your sense of, of where he's been because he has been dealing with that left ankle. He missed some time and then he apparently retweaked it. Uh, and now defenses are really angling for him as the reigning rookie of the year. How do the Grizzlies get Ja going back in, into the mode where they would most like him to be? Well, a lot of it, I think, starts with uh, we go back to the defense. If you're able to get defensive stops, that means now you're pushing the basketball. And then that's when he's at his best because it's very hard to set your defense to slow him down in those positions. He, he, he is a terror for one-on-one -on -one defenders. Um, and so if they can get into being more up and down, get into open court more, then he'll be able to get that vibe again, I think, on the offensive end. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it, it has, is just this is a maturation process. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, and, and when you're a, a, a guard that is still a team first guard, then you're still trying to figure out how do I get my entire squad going while then trying to still figure out where my spots are on the floor. And, and so uh, defenses, especially in fourth quarters now, whereas the big thing for him in the past was we were going to fourth quarters that you could pencil in seven, eight points, you could pencil in him having a couple of assists, but teams are going to take that away. That that's that is always going to be the main objective for the opposing team's defense is take away their best player and see what the next guy is able to do. And so 
you give these teams credit. They've been able to stifle him with double teams, with different looks on the defensive side. A big thing we talked about a lot was defending him with bigger guys um, has been a bigger has been a big plus for opponents. And, and so I think the Grizzlies just have to figure out offensive sets that they can get into that are maybe quick hitting sets or getting him the ball in different areas of the floor, whether that's now catching it on the wing, running to a quick screen and roll or allowing him to play one on one on one. But uh, but he he's going to need the help from his teammates in order for him to get better. But he also has to watch film and see where are the spots that I can be successful with my own game that can help this team. Might not be always getting all the way to the basket for a highlight play. Maybe more shots in the mid-range that forces defenses to respect that I will shoot these shots. Um, but but this is all this is all a learning experience. And, and for for young guys, you hit these, you hit these spots. Listen, for veterans, you hit these spots. It's just when veteran guys hit it, they've been there before. He hasn't been here before in, in this situation. And so uh, I, I know that he is a good enough basketball player. This team, coaching staff is good enough that they'll they'll figure out how to put him in positions where he can be successful again. This has been a strange season in so many ways. It's been a strange almost now 12 months once we get to March, it seems. Uh, there are some teams, and the Grizzlies are among them, and it's not just one guy. They just seem to play better, score better, shoot better on the road than they do at home. You got any reason why? Is it because it's an empty building or because you're more tied together when you're on the road when you are at home? Why? Why, for example, the Grizzlies struggle so much at home and are so successful on the road? Well, I think for, for this year and for, um, as you said, the times that we're in, uh, I think a large part goes into, and, I, and you kind of said, I've said this a couple of times, is that when you're at home and you have home responsibilities oh, on top of then going to play a game, there's more on your mind than when you're on the road. When you're on the road, it's you and your team, you go to your hotel room, you may watch a show, but watch some clips of the team you're going to play. You're 100% locked in to basketball. When you're at home, there are other things that go on that are part of your life. You have kids, you have a spouse or a significant other, their needs have to be met. You have family members that are in town, then you're trying to uh, spend time with them. And so maybe you get off of what your normal routine would be. But as the opponent, you don't have any of those other outside influences. And then for the home team to not have a crowd to then get you over the hump a little bit where you may be feeling down and you just need that. You need that little bit of energy boost. You don't have that energy boost this season. And so I think that's what has made it a lot tougher, especially for younger teams. I don't know what the what the numbers look like uh, in terms of younger teams with how they playing at home over what veteran teams are playing like. But I would, I would say that younger guys that feed on crowd noise, that feed on those, those type of outside influences, they don't have them this time. And so it makes it a lot easier for an opponent to go on a run um, as Toronto did against the Grizzlies and you not really be able to stop that run or, did, or fans in a crowd be able to help you stop those runs. What's interesting to note is that the Grizzlies have the biggest disparity in terms of what they score at home versus what they score on the road, favoring the roadside, and it is significant. And uh, it, sometimes it's hard to explain. And the Grizzlies uh, have a winning record on the road, losing record at home, and sometimes it's a little confusing. So uh, it's been an unusual year, to say the very least. So thanks to Brevin for stopping by, and 
will tell you that if there was one thing you could do or one bold action you could take, one inspired choice could you make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If the answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay and join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations are being done now by appointment at 901-685-7796. Call Chris Garner at 901-685-7796. Set up your framing consultation and you will be absolutely delighted with the results from Garner Framing Company. With that, we now turn to our friend of the program, and we return to our conversation with the Senior Vice President of Referee Operations, Monty McCutcheon, as we talk about a bunch of things, not the least of which is how NBA officials are evaluated. And once referees get to the NBA level, walk us through for our listeners the evaluation process, because I remember, uh, I think it was Joe Borgia said, or, or David Stern said, that this is the most closely scrutinized group of officials in all of sports. And I know that there's self-evaluation, there are multiple levels of evaluation. So a crew comes off the floor uh, in Memphis, and then post-game, how is that all broken down? How are they evaluated on that particular game? Well, we have a multiple of, of tools that we have at our disposal. Um, some of them are technology-based. Many of them are still in-person-based. Uh, we have five developmental advisors, EF Rush, Bernie Fryer, Bennett Salvatore, Mark Wunderlich, and Joey Crawford, in combination with myself. Uh, Mike Callahan, affectionately known as Duke Callahan, uh, a 30-year referee, is now running our G League. Um, he also contributes some to the NBA when, when there's an opportunity like we have right now in the fallow period. The fact of the matter is, is that our DAs um, that I just mentioned cross-reference to all three of our leagues. They are going to G League games consistently five or six times a month or doing tape breakdowns in our COVID situation right now. But then they're also doing WNBA in the summer as well as uh, under the leadership of myself and Sue Blau, who is the head of our WNBA. So we're putting that expertise into all three of our leagues. And that hasn't always been the case. But since I've been here, I really wanted that that input to be in all three of our leagues. So in essence, we have six or seven people working in the G League, six or seven people working in the WNBA, and six or seven people working in the um, WNBA, uh, G League. And so um, I may or may not have just repeated myself several times. Your listeners will have to live with that. Uh, <laughs> but the idea is, is that we use that expertise. Each of, the, each of our staff is broken down into a subgroup. So each DA is in charge of about 13 or 14 officials in which they are in contact daily with those officials. Every call an NBA referee makes is judged. That includes no calls, a decision based on no whistle, which is some of our best refereeing, and in some cases needs of areas of growth in our refereeing. And, but every decision is, is scrutinized and graded by an independent group of reviewers, separate from our developmental advisors. They are graded. That grade creates an analytical profile. 
And that analytical profile is used by our developmental advisors to then see trends in individual referees to say, hey, in the trail position, we realize that you're not doing a good on point of contact fouls. In the slot position, you're not getting to the feet prior to the release of the dribble, and you need to do a better job with traveling. We have all of this deep, deep research and data that helps us drive individual curriculums for our officials that fall under the greater collective umbrella of what our competition committee is expecting out of its officiating staff. The competition committee is is um, coaches, general managers, owners, players coming together to for the state of the game, and they are dictating the style of play that the NBA should want. And then it's the official's job to turn around and adjudicate those those desired outcomes that the competition committee has has put forth as guidelines. And we now then can use we have a, a new system in place called Reps, um, and it's the Referee Enhancement and Performance System. And what that does is allow referees to have interactions with those developmental advisors in real time. Um, 20 minutes after the game, the game is loaded onto this. We can clip plays at ease. The developmental advisors can clip a play, immediately send it to the group and say, give me your thoughts on this play. Here are my thoughts. Here's where I think we could have done better. Then you get an interaction back and forth through that system. Referees can do that referee to referee. They can create playlists. They can do point. If, if we tell referee X, hey, you're not doing a great job on getting to point of contact on jump shots. You're missing too many wrist hits and you're not calling them. Then we can create a playlist for that referee of those 27 instances over the course of a season that they haven't done a good job with this. And then they can bank that and go through those individual types of areas of growth for them and say, all right, I need to get better at this. Look, I need to step down. Hey, I need to get my vision up because it's a, it's a, a vertical game that I'm refereeing here. And so there's a real combination of wisdom from experience in our developmental advisors combined with this technological aspect, combined with the management that we provide and growth. Our developmental advisors have gone through a, 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 a quite frankly, a highly scrutinized management program recently where we've, where we've created curriculums for them. Things are changing, and it's great to be a part of bringing this group into the 21st century. Wow. Fascinating stuff. I knew that our referees were highly scrutinized, but the fact that stuff now is individualized certainly takes it to another level. Another one of the developments since you've been in your position as the Officiating Advisory Council, which I'm, I'm proud and happy to be a part of, for those who don't know what the OAC is all about, tell us how it was composed, why it was composed, and, and what you try to get out of it. Well, our leader at Basketball Operations is Byron Spruill, as you know. And Byron has brought an incredible passion for uh, bridging and building relationships. And one of the areas, only one of the areas that he has greatly impacted is this idea of the officiating advisory council. And on it, as you know, since you're on it, is, is it's a set of announcers. It's a set of players and coaches and general managers, referees. And prior to COVID, of course, we were meeting two or three times a year and we bring in outside management training uh, in the form of Deloitte, uh, in the form of other outside teaching opportunities in which those groups get to interact with one another as stakeholders of the league so that we can have a clearer and broader understanding of what is it does the, need, the league need out of its officials. 
officiating is on one level looking at plays and fouls and all of the things that we come to know about officiating but officiating can only be as strong as the as the messaging from the various stakeholders about what constitutes good officiating and as such the advisory council has been invaluable in getting perspective about the importance of communication like one of the examples is you know, referees over time had gotten to where one of the visual warnings they would give someone who might be complaining too much is this stop sign, this hand up. And we heard through the advisory council how demeaning that was. And while it was unintentional on referees part, without that advisory council meeting, without that understanding of that perspective of how demeaning and patronizing that is, we would have never understood that that's very painful to a, to a player or a coach to be uh, lessened in that way. And it's not the desire of officials to lessen our players and coaches. We work in collaboration in servitude to our players and coaches. And so from that standpoint, it was, it was a great perspective to understand, hey, there's other ways to tell someone in a professional manner that the complaining is, is, has reached a limit and we don't have to demean or lessen someone to do that. And we've worked really hard through those stakeholder meetings to have a broader understanding of what constitutes good officiating. Monty, thanks so much for the time. Uh, this is really, I think, in a golden age for NBA officiating because of how well that you can train and, and work with young officials and keep good officials in the pipeline and, and you and your staff are to be congratulated. Well, thank you, Pete. It's always a pleasure to join you. It's good to see you. And anytime that we can share time together is good for me. So thank you for having me. And that does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been episode 12. Our thanks to Brevin Knight for stopping by for a visit and also the conversation with Senior Vice President of Referee Operations, Monty McCutcheon. Hope that you enjoyed the podcast today. And uh, when we visit next, we'll start talking about that West Coast road trip and what happened in the game against the Charlotte Hornets. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network.